1 through 7. And that's as far as we're going to get tonight. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward the Ammonites, and prophesy against them. Say to the Ammonites, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Because you said, Aha, over my sanctuary, when it was profaned, and over the land of Israel, when it was made desolate, and over the house of Judah, when they went into exile, therefore, behold, I am handing you over to the people of the east for a possession. And they shall set their encampments among you, and shall make their dwellings in your midst. They shall eat your fruit, and they shall drink your milk. I will make Rabbah a pasture for camels, and Ammon a fold for flocks. Then you will know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, Because you have clapped your hands and stamped your feet, and rejoiced with all the malice within your soul against the land of Israel, therefore, behold, I have stretched out my hand against you, and will hand you over as plunder to the nations, and I will cut you off from the peoples and will make you perish out of the countries. I will destroy you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Now, if you remember from what we've been looking at the last few weeks, this is a turning point in the book of Ezekiel. God's been bringing all the judgment warnings against Israel and Judah and Jerusalem. And chapter 24 is where the, the siege of Jerusalem finally happened, the third siege and the destruction of Jerusalem. As we saw last time, Ezekiel was not allowed to speak to the Israelites anymore who were in captivity in Babylon. God struck him mute for 18 months. During that time period, though, he writes down these prophecies to the other nations and the, the nations around Israel that are going to be judged, not only around that time, but also still in the future. So what we're going to do is begin to look at these prophecies against the nations and God's judgment of the nations. And tonight we're going to take a look at just the Ammonites. Now, I put in, my notes, put in my notes this way, studying Ezekiel's prophecies against the surrounding Gentile nations will be helpful, but it's going to take a little bit more work to get the nuggets we need from these prophecies. So we're going to be digging into the study of the prophecies against the nations, but it's going to take a little bit more work than we normally do to do some digging. And so I just want you to get ready for that, all right? In order to really get these nuggets and what really is here, we're going to have to do a little bit more study on history and do a little bit more study about the history of what was going on back then. So let's start off with who are the Ammonites. Go with me to Genesis chapter 19 and we'll look at verses 30 through 38. It says, Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters. Remember Lot and his wife and the whole destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So in, he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the first one went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie in with him, and that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he didn't know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He's the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. So you can see where the Ammonites got started. It was an incestuous beginning to this people. Lot, after his wife died, being, being turned to salt in the judgment of God when she was told not to look back, hides up in the mountains with his two daughters and they decide, well, there's no men that are going to get us pregnant so we can have families. Let's get our dad drunk and let's lay with him, and then we can at least get pregnant and have babies. And that's where the Moabites and the Ammonites began. All right. They lived in an area east of the Jordan River and north of Moab. If we want to know where Moab is, it's just, you know, where the Sea of Galilee is. It's, or not Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea. It's just east of that area there. They're east of the Jordan River, north of Moab. Actually, if you want to look at a map today and find out where this area was, their capital city of the Ammonites is Rabbah, which is actually Ammon, Jordan today. So if you want to look at a map today where Ammon, Jordan is, that is where Rabbah was of the Ammonites. All right. Now, they were a tribal people. 
And being a tribal people who lived on the edge of the desert, they lived a very what's in it for me type of a lifestyle. And they would side with whoever, whoever, if they thought it would benefit them. In 600 BC, the Ammonites worked with Babylon in attacking Judah. Go to 2 Kings 24. Let me show you what I mean. 2 Kings 24. And look at verses 1 through 7. 2 Kings 24, verses 1 through 7. It says, in his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him, and the Lord sent him against him bands of the Chaldeans, bands of the Syrians, and bands of the Moabites, and bands of the Ammonites, and sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by his servant, the prophets. Surely this came upon Judah at the command of the Lord to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also for the innocent blood that he had shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord would not pardon. Now the rest of the deeds of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and Jehoiachin his son reigned in his place. And the king of Egypt did not come again out of his land, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. So here we see in 600 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon come to attack Judah. Who helps him? The Ammonites and the Moabites and a whole bunch, but the, the, they actually worked with Babylon to attack Judah. Now, interestingly enough, just six years later, in 594 B.C., the Ammonites attempt to join with other nations and Judah to go against the Babylonians. Go to 2 Kings chapter 27 and look at verses 1 through 11. Sorry, Jeremiah 27. Did I say 2 Kings? Sorry. If you find 2 Kings 27, you better double check the, the, your Bible. Go to Jeremiah 27. Jeremiah 27, verses 1 through 11. It says, In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus the Lord said to me, Make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. Send word to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the sons of Ammon, king of Tyre, and the king of Sidon by the hand of the envoys who have come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, the king of Judah. Give them this charge for their masters. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, this is what you shall say to your masters. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men, the animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also the beasts of the fields to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then, then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. But if any nation or kingdom will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and put his neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I'll punish that nation with the sword, with famine and with pestilence, declares the Lord, until I have consumed it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, or your sorcerers, who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for it is a lie that they're prophesying to you, with the result that you'll be removed far from your land, and I will drive you out and you will perish. But any nation that will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I'll leave on its own land to work it and to dwell there, declares the Lord. So here we see that in 600 BC, the Ammonites worked with the Babylonians to attack Judah. Six years later, they're now having a meeting, a UN if you will, to gather there in Judah to talk with all these other nations to go and now fight against Babylon because Babylon seeming to get more and more power and more and more land and they ain't liking it. But they were a what's in it for me and you'll see that's important later on in our study but they were a very what's in it for me people and they were willing to work with whoever if it would benefit them. That's something you need to know about the Ammonites. Now if you also remember at one point in our study the king of Babylon was deciding between attacking the Ammonites or Judah but he chose to go after Judah by God's command. Go back to Ezekiel 21 and we remind you of that. Ezekiel 21. Look at verses 18 through 22. It says, The word of the Lord came to me again. As for you, son of man, mark two ways for the sword of the king of Babylon to come. Both of them shall come from the same land. And make a signpost and make it at the head of the way to a city. Mark a way for the sword to come to Rabbah of the Ammonites and to Judah, into Jerusalem, the fortified. For the king of Babylon stands at the parting of the way, 
at the head of the two ways to use divination, he shakes the arrows, he consults the teraphim, he looks at the liver, into his right hand comes the divination for Jerusalem to set battering rams, to open the mouth with murder, and to lift up the voice with shouting, and to set battering rams against the gates, and to cast up mounds, and to build siege towers. So, if you remember from that part of our study, because of the fact that the Ammonites had plotted with Zedekiah and those other nations to go against Babylon, Babylon tries to decide, am I going to go after Judah? Am I going to go after the Ammonites? And God has him choose to go after Jerusalem. But Scripture does show us, though, that the Babylonians eventually conquered the Ammonites as well, or at least the Ammonites surrendered to Babylon. And as you're going to see later on in our study, I think the Bible also shows also other nations will be involved in the very last days. We'll get to more on that later. But in here in Ezekiel 21, look at verses 28 through 32. And it says, And you, son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God concerning the Ammonites and concerning their reproach, say, A sword, a sword is drawn for the slaughter. It is polished to consume and to flash like lightning. While they see for you false visions, while they divine lies for you to place you on the necks of the profane wicked, whose day has come, the time of their final punishment, return it to its sheath. In the place where you were created, in the land of your origin, I will judge you. And I will pour out my indignation upon you, and I'll blow upon you with the fire of my wrath, and I'll deliver you into the hands of brutish men, skillful to destroy. You'll be fuel for the fire, your blood shall be in the midst of the land. You shall no more be remembered, for I, the Lord, have spoken. In the same passage where we just looked earlier at the fact that God had Nebuchadnezzar choose between, am I going to go attack the Ammonites at Rabbah? Am I going to attack the Israelites at Judah? And God has him as he consults the liver and the arrows and all that kind of stuff. God has all that point to Jerusalem. He then in this same prophecy says, oh, but don't think for a second, Ammonites, that you're going to be escaping this. He's going to put his sword in his sheath for now when it comes to you, but you will be judged as well. And history plays it out as the Babylonians as well took over the area of the Ammonites as well. Now, before we get into the specifics, because we haven't even looked at the verses that we're supposed to be studying yet, before we get to the specifics of this prophecy in chapter 25, we need to, it'll do us well to see the attitude of the Ammonites toward Israel and Judah over the years, because that's going to play into a, helping us understand why God says what he says in his prophecy against the, against the Ammonites. First thing I want you to understand, and I want you to turn to Judges chapter 10 so you can see it. The Ammonites had much hatred and hostility toward Israel and Judah. Judges chapter 10. Look at verses 6 through 9. All right, Judges chapter 10, verse 6. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook, forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin, and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. Now, if you want to keep reading, I stop there. You could just keep reading in the rest of this chapter, and you're going to see Ammonites, 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 over and over, all the evil stuff they were doing to Israel, the northern kingdom, and to Judah, the southern kingdom. They did not like the Israelites. All right? Now, go to 1 Samuel chapter 11. 1 Samuel chapter 11. And look at verses 1 through 11. Get a little more background of the attitude of the Ammonites toward the Israelites. Now it says, Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us and we'll serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I'll make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days respite, that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then, if there is no one to save us, we'll give, give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter to the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. 
Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen, and Saul said, What's wrong with the people, and why are they, that they're weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. And when he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh that they were, they were glad, therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we'll give ourselves up to you, and you may do to whatever seems good to you. And the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came in the midst of the camp in the morning watch, morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day, and those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. Here we see that the Ammonites came, and the Israelites tried to make a peace treaty with them. What, what did they say? As long as, we can, as long as we can gouge out each one of your right eyes, we'll make a peace treaty with you, but we gouge out the right eye of each of you, and then we'll, we'll do a peace treaty with you. And this is when God actually starts to make Paul, Saul a leader in the nation of Israel. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 10. I'm only giving you just a few glimpses of how wonderful these people, the Ammonites, were. 2 Samuel chapter 10. Look at verses 1 through 14. It says, After this the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanan his son reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanan the son of Nahash, as his father dealt loyally with me. So David sent by his servants to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites. But the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanan their lord, Do you think because David has sent comforters to you that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servant to you to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? So Hanan took David's servants and shaved off half of the beard of each and cut their garments in the middle at their hips and sent them away. When it was told David, he sent, uh, he sent to meet them, for they were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Remain at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. And when the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, the Ammonites sent, a hired, sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rehob and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and the king of Mecca with 1,000 men, and the men of Tob, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the hosts of the mighty men. And the Ammonites came out and drew up in the battle array at the entrance of the gate of the Syrians of, Syrians of Zobah and of Rehob, and the men of Tob and Mecca were by themselves in the open country. When Joab saw that the battle was set against him, both in the front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men he put in the charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites. And he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I'll come and help you. Be of good courage and let us be courageous for our people, for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, they likewise fled before Abishai and entered the city. And then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. So if we were to just sum up the attitude of the Ammonites toward the Israelites and the, uh, the Jews, what would it be? They were enemies. But think back. If you remember, the Ammonites came from who? From Lot, who was a relative of Abraham. Lot and Abraham were relatives being blessed by the Lord and when the need came to separate because of the abundance of their possessions, Abraham let Lot choose where he wanted to go. And if you know the story, Lot looked around and he picked what he thought was best, the best land. And, God, and Abraham let God choose for him. Lot chose what looked real good in his own eyes and he regretted it almost immediately. His choice was so bad it had to be destroyed. His people had become jealous of what God had given Abraham from that day forward. Don't miss that. That is a key part of where we're going to be going tonight. God had promised Abraham and his descendants a portion of that land, a section, an area, to be theirs for an everlasting possession. 
He had the right to take them out of it when they walked in disobedience because he had said, if you do, I will remove you, but I will bring you back in the last days. But there had always been other nations who were jealous of the fact that God had given the Israelites that land. The Ammonites, even though they were relatives, became jealous and had been jealous of what God had promised Israel all along. I'm just going to say this. We will always regret when we don't let God choose for us. His way is best. You will always regret when you don't let God choose. His way is best. All right. That was your introduction. With this small background history lesson, let's go see what God says to the Ammonites at this time through Ezekiel. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 25, and we'll look at verses 1 and following. Thus the word of the Lord came, came to me, Son of man, set your face toward the Ammonites and prophesy against them. So with verse 1 telling us that he's to prophesy against them, is God sending good news through Ezekiel to the Ammonites or bad news? Bad news. It's against them. The prophecy and the reason for it is pretty clear. I'm going to explain it to you and then we're going to go back and read it. The same attitude that they've had of jealousy and covetousness toward Israel increased when God removed the Jews from their land and into captivity in Babylon. When God profaned his sanctuary and scattered the people, the Ammonites saw it in two ways. The first way they saw it was this. Jehovah God was defeated, and two, the land could finally be theirs. You see, this prophecy, as I'm about to read it to you again now, it's going to make a whole lot more sense as you understand the history and all that's gone on. And keep in mind, this is being written after God has removed the Jews from the land of Israel and the land of Judah, and they've been taken into captivity in Babylon, and most of them have been killed. And so the land is laying desolate. The, the city walls have been destroyed. You remember last time we were together? God is the one who profaned the sanctuary and destroyed the temple. And so listen now to the prophecy in verse 2 of chapter 25. I'm sorry, verse 3. Say to the Ammonites, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because you said, aha, over my sanctuary when it was profaned, and over the land of Israel when it was made desolate, and over the house of Judah when they went into exile. Therefore, behold, I am handing you over to the people of, a, of the east for a possession, and they shall set their encampments amongst you and make their dwellings in your midst, and they shall eat your fruit, and they shall drink your milk. I'm going to make Rabbah, this is their main city, a pasture for camels and Ammon, a fold for flocks. Then you will know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, because you have clapped your hands and stamped your feet and rejoiced with all the malice within your soul against the land of Israel. Therefore, behold, I have stretched out my hand against you, and I will hand you over as a plunder to the nations, and I will cut you off from the peoples and will make you perish out of the countries. I will destroy you, and then you will know that I am the Lord. Now, I want to kind of lay a foundation for where we're going to go the rest of tonight. What we have here, first off, is God saying, because you guys got all excited and stomped your feet and clapped your hands that the land was empty and that I took them into captivity and removed them out of the land, you thought, aha, now the land can be ours, because that's what they did. They went in and took over the land. God says, because you've done that, I'm going to have your land taken over. But throughout this prophecy, you'll see some words that show that it's not just something that he was going to do around that time. Remember, I showed you. Chances are real good that the Babylonians took over for a period as well. But there are some key words in here that shows that I think personally that this prophecy is yet to be fulfilled. The two main things is that he said that he's going to have it being done by the nations, plural. And twice here in verse uh, five and also in verse seven, he says, then you will know that I am the Lord. In other words, at that time when the fulfillment of this prophecy finally takes place, then you'll know that I am the Lord. Don't miss that. Because when the Babylonians came in and took over and conquered them in whatever way they did, did the Ammonites say, oh, that means Jehovah's God? No. I honestly believe that these prophecies, as you're going to see as we break them down and compare them with other prophecies in the Old Testament, which we're going to do tonight, these prophecies talk a little bit about some things that were going to happen at that time. But a lot of Bible scholars, think, I think, miss it if they try to find a historical fulfillment for all of this. Because there's a lot here that has not been fulfilled yet. 
and will be fulfilled at the end of the tribulation period at the judgment of all the nations when God does his work on the earth. All right? And then they'll know that he is the Lord. And so there's a prophecy hint in the wording here that there is still yet to happen. All right? Now, people say, well, does that mean Jordan's going to happen to Jordan because that's where the Jordan is now? I'm going to give you the right answer. I don't know. I don't know. But this isn't the only time that God's been talking to the Ammonites about what's going to take place because of their wickedness. Let me take, take you through a, a little bit of a journey. Uh, go back to uh, Jeremiah and look at for, verse 49. Sorry, sorry, chapter 49, verses 1 through 6. Jeremiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 6. Now remember, the two things that they thought because God took that, uh, that God took the Israelites into the captivity in Babylon. Remember, they thought Jehovah was defeated, and they thought that the land was now theirs. They were wrong on both counts. Jeremiah 49, verses 1 through 6. Concerning the Ammonites, thus says the Lord, Has Israel no sons? Has he no heir? Why then has Milcom dispossessed Gad, and his people settled in its cities? Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will cause the battle cry to be heard against Rabbah of the Ammonites. It shall become a desolate mound, and its villages shall be burned with fire. Then Israel shall dispossess those who dispossessed him, says the Lord. Wail, O Heshbon, for Ai is laid waste. Cry out, O daughters of Rabbah. Put on sackcloth, lament, and run to and fro among the hedges. For Milcom shall go into exile with his priests and his officials. Why do you boast of your valleys, O faithless daughter, who trusted in her treasures, saying, Who will come against me? Behold, I will bring terror upon you, declares the Lord God of hosts, from all who are around you. And you shall be driven out, every man straight before him, with none to gather, the fugitives. But afterward, I will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites, declares the Lord. So here he says, hey, does Israel have no descendants? I mean, is Israel all of a sudden gone? Have they been wiped off the face of the earth? then why are the Ammonites moving into their land? God says, I didn't say you could do that. That's not been given to you. That's been given to them. And because you've done that, I'm going to bring a judgment on you. Interestingly enough, if you probably have already noticed, as we've been studying Ezekiel, there's been so much that parallels between Jeremiah's prophecies and Ezekiel's prophecies. Chapters 49 and following, we see Jeremiah also prophesying against some of these same nations we're going to be seeing Ezekiel prophesy against and there's going to be an interesting parallel between the two. Go to Zephaniah. You had it easy so far tonight. Go to Zephaniah chapter 2. Of course, these new Bibles nowadays, all you have to do is just slide your finger and tap Zephaniah, and it comes up, which is great. I think it's great because more people stick with me that way. I've had too many people give up after a while. Zephaniah chapter 2, look at verses 8 through 11. Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. God says, I have heard the taunts of Moab and the revilings of the Ammonites, how they have taunted my people and made boasts against their territory. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits and a waste forever. Has that happened yet? No, because we just told you that Amon Jordan is right there right now. It's going to be a waste forever. The remnant of my people shall plunder them, and the survivors of my nation shall possess them. By the way, who are going to be the survivors of his nation? The Israelites. When? At the end of the tribulation period, when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom. They're going to defeat them then. All right. They shall, um, they shall be in their lot. Shall be, sorry, this shall be their lot in return for their pride, because they taunted and boasted against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome against them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth, and to him shall bow down each in its place all the lands of the nations. Has it happened yet? No. A judgment is coming on all the nations, not just around Israel, but all the nations on the earth. It is coming, folks. Just as real as God's judgment on Israel came and is still happening, where he's given them a hardening until the church has been taken back, and then he finishes what he promised for Israel. Just as he's purifying his people, he's going to purify the nations, and a judgment is coming on all the nations, and it is as real as the Scripture says. And here we see that the Ammonites are going to be judged in the last days. Now, 
Does that mean Jordan? Does that mean them? I don't know. But I can tell you this much. The nations in that area are going to be judged by God and the Jews. Since you did real good with Zephaniah, go to Amos. Go to Amos chapter 1. Amos chapter 1 verses 13 and 15, or through 15. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. So I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour her strongholds, with shouting on the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of whirlwind, and their king shall go into exile, he and his princes together, says the Lord. Again, we see a prophecy that because of how Israel was, I'm sorry, the Ammonites were after the Israelite property and their land, and they treated the people of Israel badly, God's going to judge them. I don't want you to miss this. I wrote in my notes, really big, do not miss this, all right? Even though God may use other nations as judgments against his people. Remember we read earlier in, in, in Jeremiah, in chapter 27, that God said, I give to the land and the nations whomever I choose. Even though God may use other nations as judgment against his people, he does not ever forget what they did to his people or hold them guiltless because of what they did to his people when he used them as judgment. Are you with me? In other words, when God used the Babylonians to bring judgment against Israel, he kept track of everything the Babylonians did, and he judged them for it. And you say, wait a minute. Why would he judge them for doing what he allowed them to do? Well, it's, it goes this way. He knew what was in their heart. He knew what they would do if they were given permission and freedom to do so. So did he make them do it, or did they do it of their own volition? They did it of their own volition. He just knew what they would do, and he allowed it. That's how Satan's allowed to work. Folks, if Satan had any choice, you'd be dead right now. He controls whether or not you live or die by he protects us from the evil one. But when Satan does what he does, God allows for his purposes, yet God sets the parameters. And God, all through the scriptures, I'm going to show you this. God, all through the scriptures, shows that if he uses a nation to judge his people Israel... He's keeping track of everything that nation does in the judging of Israel, and one day they're going to get it for everything they did to Israel. Now you say, well, then what, are we, what should each nation do? Well, they should remember Genesis chapter 12, where God told Abraham, I'm going to make you a mighty nation, and I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. So if you're going to be pro-Israel, the nation will be blessed. You want to go against Israel? God's keeping track. God's keeping track. Jim, do you think that Nebuchadnezzar, as sometimes you think, oh, he's praising the Lord, that you think, oh, he understands. He praised the Lord at the very end of his life. He had to go through that long period where he wandered as an animal and ate the grass and all that kind of stuff. But at the time, he thought it was him. He was thinking it was him. Go to Jeremiah chapter 30. Actually, let me give you the, the easy one first. Go to Joel. Joel chapter 3. Your name is just back up one book. Joel chapter 3. Listen to verses 1 and 2. The most clear passage, I think, in the, all the scripture that talks about what we're talking about here. Joel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. God says, Behold, in those days and at that time, that's prophecy words, folks, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage, Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land. So at the end of the tribulation period, at the Battle of Armageddon, all those nations are going to be gathered into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and the Battle of Armageddon, that battle is going to be waged, and Jesus himself is going to defeat them himself, but he's going to gather all the nations in that battle. And why is he going to judge them? It's right here. Because of how they treated Israel and because they divided the land. Folks, I don't care which side of the aisle you are on politically. Both Republican and Democratic presidents over the years have been telling Israel to divide the land for peace. God's keeping track. God's keeping track. We, we, we might say, well, we're not after their land. 
We just want to decide who gets it. You don't get that choice. Pray for our leadership. Go to Jeremiah chapter 30. Oh, and by the way, if anybody really believes that by dividing the land, there'll be peace, somebody has been listening to the enemy, the father of lies. Jeremiah chapter 30, listen to verses 1 through 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. This hasn't happened yet, by the way. And I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It's a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, and I will burst your bonds, and your foreigners shall no more make a servant of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will, though, make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you. But of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. God says, as I'm dealing with you, don't forget I'm going to deal with them too. Go to chapter 30, look at verses 18 through 24. Jump to verse chapter 18. Actually, let's go to verse 15. I stopped too early. Verse, sorry, verse 12. Let's just keep reading. Yeah, I'm, I got chemo brain. I'll admit it. All right. Jeremiah 30, look at verse 12. For thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable and your wound is grievous. There's none to uphold your cause, no medicine for your wound, no healing for you. All your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. For I have dealt with you the blow of an enemy. I dealt you with, for I have dealt you the blow of an enemy, the punishment of a merciless foe because of your guilt is great. Because of your sins are, because your sins are flagrant. Why do you cry out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable. Because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant, because I have done all these things to you. Therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured. And all your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered. And all who prey on you, I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. Because they have called you an outcast, it is Zion for whom no one cares. Pretty clear there, isn't it? All who plunder Israel are going to be plundered. All who try to devour Israel are going to be devoured. I don't know how many of you know this, but you know the Bible actually says, I'm sure many of you have heard this quoted, that he knows the number of hairs on our head. Do you know that the Bible actually says that he keeps track of our tears and keeps them in a bottle? He knows every little tear that falls. He keeps, there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground and he doesn't know it. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 26, or 36, that we're going to be held on the day of a judgment accountable for every idle word. Folks, over all the history of the whole world, everything that has been done to his people is being recorded. And God hasn't missed a thing. And he's got gigabytes and zigabytes and whatever, if you will, to, to keep it all recorded on. Matthew 12, 36. Matthew 12, 36. Now, keep reading in verse 18 of chapter 30 of Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the fortunes in the tents of Jacob. I have compassion on his dwelling. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound, and the palace shall stand where it used to be. That's an awesome promise. Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving, and the voices of those who celebrate. I will multiply them, and they shall not be few. I will make them honored, and they shall not be small. Their children shall be as they were of old, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all who oppress them. Their prince shall be one of themselves. The ruler shall come out from their midst. I will make him draw near, and he shall approach me. For who would dare of himself to approach me, declares the Lord, 
and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Behold, the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he is executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In the latter days, you will understand this. Again, I could go on, but I think you get the idea. We need to be praying as a people who believe the Bible that our leadership would be for Israel and not tell them to divide their land. Actually, as you're going to see as we get to it, if Jesus doesn't come get us before then, when we get to that part of our Ezekiel study where it starts laying out where the land is and all the borders and how far each of the uh, tribes are going to get their inheritance, you're going to find out that the area that they have now isn't even, even a small portion of what God had already promised them and what is going to be ultimately theirs during the Millennial Kingdom. And the borders are going to make the surrounding nations of Syria and Jordan and all those in Lebanon not happy because that land was given to Israel. Now you say, Jim, why do you have to get political? Folks, this isn't political. This was written before politics was even invented. I want you to understand something. The word of God is true. And for too long, Christians have had this mindset, well, when God says that he's going to restore the fortunes of Judah and Jacob, that's just symbolic. No, it's as literal as all the other prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled literally. And when he says he's going to oppress all those who oppress Israel, it's going to happen. Now, at the same time, we may not be able to stop our nation from being judged. And personally, I don't think we will. Listen closely, because the Bible says that at the end, in the book of Zechariah, all the nations on the earth will be against Israel. So if I have to tell you to believe the Bible, I need to believe the Bible myself. Our nation, if it exists even at that time, will be against Israel, because all the nations on the earth will be against Israel. But that doesn't mean that we aren't to slow the decay. That doesn't mean that we aren't to be praying and seeking God and praying for leadership and voting in leadership that's going to be for Israel. And so I just want to encourage you and challenge you. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Oh, don't pray for a false peace that's going to be happening when a wall's built or when they divide the land or when the Antichrist comes. When's the only real peace going to happen in Jerusalem? When Jesus comes back. So when the Bible says pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you are saying, Lord, come. Come rapture your church. Begin the tribulation period, as you said, is going to happen after that. Purify your people. Judge the nations. Come and set it up as you, as you will. Yet, the reason you haven't done any of that is you are not slow, as some people count slowness, but you're not willing anyone to perish. So in the meantime, instead of me just saying, come Lord Jesus, pray for peace of Jerusalem, Am I looking for people that might need to know Jesus like Larry today, who was trying to sell me a car? Now, I don't know how much he was saying to me was all preacher talk, because he, you know, they, they learn how to talk to whoever they are to try to sell you a car. But he got the gospel today. And hopefully Larry comes to know him before all this stuff happens. Let's close tonight by not missing one other thing. God is going to judge the nations. We've just said that, correct? But not only will he judge the nations and will God judge the wicked, but he always purifies his people first. Before he judges the nations, what's he going to be doing with Israel? They're going to be going through a purification process where over two-thirds are going to be killed. They're going to be put through the fire, and he's going to Purify them as they purify silver, and the dross will be scraped away, and only the true believers of Israel will be left. The remnant will survive. He purifies his people first. Then he deals with the nations. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Jeremiah chapter 25. Look at verses 15 through 29. Thus the Lord... The God of Israel said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I'm sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me to drink it, Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, its kings and officials, to make them a desolation and a waste, a hissing and a curse as it is this day. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and his servants, his officials, and all his people, and all the mixed tribes among them, all the kings of the 
uh, land of Uz, and the kings of the land of the Philistines, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, the remnant of Ashdod, Edom, Moab, and the sons of Ammon, all the kings of Tyre, all the kings of Sidon, the kings of the coastland across the sea. Maybe that might be us too. By the way, before I keep reading all these nations, who did he have drink first? Israel, Jerusalem, and Judah. Dedan, Tema, Buzz, and all who cut the corners of their hair. All the kings of Arabia and all the kings of the mixed tribes who dwell in the desert. All the kings of Zimri, all the kings of Elam, and all the kings of Media. All the kings of the north, far and near, one after another. And all the kingdoms of the world that are on the face of the earth. Do you think anything's left off now? And after them, the king of Babylon shall drink. He's saving his last batch of wrath for Babylon and for the Antichrist, where his kingdom is going to be at the end of the tribulation period there in Babylon. Then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, drink and be drunk and vomit, fall and rise no more because of the sword that I'm sending among you. And if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, you must drink. For behold, I begin to work disaster at the city that is called by my name. And shall you go unpunished? Do you already said to the nations? If I start with my people, do you think I'm, you're going to go unpunished? If I start with the apple of my eye, my chosen people, to judge them because of their sin, do you think I'm going to leave you guys out? You shall not go unpunished. For I am summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, declares the Lord of hosts. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verses 12 through 19. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12. He said, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is, righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Do you hear what he said? Yes, a judgment's coming on the nations and judgment's coming on the world and on the wicked, but... It's time for judgment to begin where? At the household of God, with the church, with his people. There's wheat and tares, and he's going to be weeding them out. I'm not going to have you turn there, but for the sake of time, just listen with me to what Jesus said when he told in John chapter 15, where he said, I am the vine. My father's the gardener. You're the branches. And then he talks about how a branch in me that doesn't produce fruit, he's going to pick it up so that it can produce more fruit. Some of you say, well, doesn't it say cut off or take away? I don't have time to exegete that for you. But those same words translated cut off or takes away is also translated picks up or took up in two other places in the book of Matthew. When they had Simon carry Jesus's cross, the Greek word, they say they forced him to bear or to carry the cross is the exact same word that is translated cuts off or takes away in, in John chapter 15. So it could mean picks up. Also in Matthew chapter 14, verse 20, where the Jesus just fed the, the, the 5,000, and there were 12 basketfuls left over, and the Bible said the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls left over. That Greek word, aero, A-I-R-O, is the exact same word in John chapter 15, where he says, if they're not producing fruit, he will, I think this passage actually should be translated, he'll pick it up. But if you know anything about growing grapes, you know that if a, if a branch is going to produce grapes, it can't go down along the ground. It has to be up in the air so it has sunlight and air to get around it. And if you're a gardener and a branch is growing down along the ground and in the dirt, it's not going to produce any grapes. The first thing you do is not cut it off or take it away. As a gardener, you're going to wash it and you're going to pick it up. 
I think the Bible translators messed us up a little bit. They should have translated that same Greek word, picks up. As much as I believe the Bible does teach in that passage that there are branches that are going to be cut off and taken away because they're not attached to the vine and they're, they're going to be burned, I don't believe the first thing Jesus said to his disciples as he was teaching on the abiding relationship was, if you don't produce fruit, I'm going to cut you off and take you away. No, I think what he was saying to them was, if you are in me and you're not producing fruit, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to wash you off, tie you up, if you will, so that you can produce fruit. But listen, then he said this, and if you are producing fruit, what's God going to do? Prune you, put you through trials. It may be cancer. It may be many different types of trials that happen. Don't be surprised when these things happen. They happen to everyone, but they come to prove our faith genuine. They come to show that what's happening in us is real so that the same world that it rains on the just and the unjust can say, how do you respond that way? It's a chance for Jesus to shine through us and more fruit to be produced. He actually is purifying his people right now. Well, what do those trials also do to those who aren't really of Christ? It proves that they're not. And they're the seed that falls on the rocky soil and the thorny soil. And they fall away and they walk away. God's already dealing with his people first. And so, folks, don't miss this. We can sit here and say, God's going to judge the nations. Well, he's going to purify Israel through the process first. And in the same way, right before. It's happening now, but I believe it's going to happen right until the time he takes us away. He's going to purify his people. He's purifying for himself a people to do good works. So let him work on you. Are you growing in your grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you just glad you're a Christian? Don't answer, I'm just glad I'm a Christian. Because the Bible says you just began this relationship when you got saved. And it's a relationship where he's going to work on you and help you produce fruit. And as you're producing fruit, he's going to produce more fruit through you. Oh, by the way, when you ladies prune your, or, uh, your uh, rose bushes or your, you guys, your orange trees, does the tree love it? But in the long run, it's worth it. In the long run, it's worth it. That's why Paul in Philippians chapter 1, as he sat in prison wrestling with whether or not he's going to live or die, wrestling with it, he said, I don't know whether I'm going to live or die in this prison I'm torn between the two. I want to go to heaven, which is better by far. But if I stay, it'll mean more fruitful labor. I'll get more reward for eternity. And he said, the more I think about it, the more I feel like God's going to keep me, help, keep me here to help you in the progress of your faith. Don't miss that. In the progress of your faith. I'm going to say something that makes my grammatical wife mad. Are you getting gooder at this Christian thing? Are you seeing more and more of Jesus come out of you? Then everything's right on schedule and he's purifying you for his purposes. Are you stuck? Are you going backwards? You better check, the Bible says, and you can look at it later on. Go read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and following. You better check and make sure your calling and election is sure. You better make sure you're a branch that's in the vine. Because the Bible says that faith is wonderful, but we should be adding to our faith virtue. Self-control, knowledge, love, brotherly love. All these things should be increasing as evidence that Jesus is in us. I love you, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.